Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Automate, Delegate, Eliminate. I'm your host, Will Christensen. This is sponsored by Data Automation. We are super excited for our guest today. This is going to be a great show. Welcome, Russ, to the show. Thanks so much, Will. But I once had a podcast idea called Automate, Systemize, and Scale. However, the acronym, my team sort of shut down and decided we decided to go a different path. So I was cool. I was pumped to see your concept and your, your what you're doing because I love I love the topics. Beautiful. Yeah, no, we so so our acronym ADE is not quite as stellar as, as your acronym ASS, correct. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah, automate, delegate, eliminate. It's it's that pivot point when business owners have to decide what they're going to do next. You know, where, where do I go next in my journey? And that's kind of what we're, what we're talking about. This season specifically, we're focused on, on talking about the automations that founders have brought to the world. So you think about Facebook, for example, and Mark Zuckerberg, the automation he brought to the world was an ability for us to do what? Look up each other's faces in a book, right? That was the whole idea behind Facebook. And and it's funny because I, it actually been like three years I've been using Facebook and then I was like, oh, I get why it's called Facebook now. <laughs> you just, you don't, you don't think about it, but, but that's what we're focused on in this season. And I'm going to introduce you here, Russ. So Russ Perry has been involved in branding marketing strategy and the like for the last decade. He's worked to shift the status quo with brands such as Apple, Morgan Stanley, Pebble Tech, LG, Botanicare, and the Harlem Globetrotters. In 2015, he launched Design Pickle, the world's first flat rate creative platform. So um, super, super excited that you're here and, and excited to talk about the automation that you've brought to the world. So tell us, what does your software do? So our platform, uh, we, we lovingly called the Design Pickle Platform or DPP. We effectively have created a network of a global creative team. So we have around 550 people that work for us every day. And we effectively connect entrepreneurs, businesses, both big and small, anywhere from the solo entrepreneur to Fortune 500, to on-demand consistent creative help. So you log in, you sign up with our service, you're matched with a creative within a day, a business day. And then through our, our software and our tools, you make, send, receive requests, provide edits and feedback, and really just have a much easier and reliable experience around the content and creating the content that you need to scale your business, sales and marketing, rebrandings. We've done a lot of work for companies who, you know, have to shift and pivot, especially this year. And the kind of icing on, on the cake is that it's flat rate. So our model is not billed by the hour. It's not billed by the project. You either pay 400 or $1,000 a month. We have two plans. Um, the more expensive one just has, it's real time. So you have a creative in your Slack chatting with you during your business hours. And uh, yeah, it's been super disruptive. It's been more successful than I can imagine. But at the end of the day, it's straightforward. You know, there's not a lot. There's not a lot to it other than sign up, start creating, and there you go. So this is powerful, and I want to take a small minute here to introduce a new acronym that I was introduced to uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And and you've probably been like, oh yeah, that's old hat. Well, I've heard of that before. Maybe you haven't. They talk about SaaS companies, software that does the work, you input the data, right? Mm -hmm. I was introduced to this acronym a couple of weeks ago to the SWAS, S-W-A-S, where software does a lot of the work, 
but the client interfaces primarily with the service layer above it, right? So mm -hmm. it typically, they, they wouldn't have access to the software, but there's a lot going on. I think you're somewhere in the middle between those two, where yeah, you have this software platform, which almost could be considered a SaaS platform, but you have a ton of labor going on behind the scenes. Yeah, the other term in the industry is tech-enabled service. So um, that's a term that we've seen. But yeah, I mean, and it's, it, I, I by no means want to compare myself to big platforms like Uber or or other or others. But if you think about at the core on what has happened with them is they took a lot of the headache out of accessing those services. And so that's really what we've done is we've taken the headache out of finding work, hiring and working with a, a creative. I mean, if you're our target audience, we're, we love people using our service who've never, ever hired a creative before, but usually they're not the best fit for us. The best fit for us is someone who like, I call them, they have the creative horror story. Like they had the project go wrong. <laughs> they had the surprise billing. They had the creative that just was like, just didn't like, they're, they, it was just, ah. and that's what we sell up against is we kind of say like, look, you're not going to have those experiences. And um, up until our model, the, the last time creative services was innovated was in the late 2010s uh, with, or early 2010s, I mean, with marketplaces. So marketplaces came out in 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012. They're all the ones we know of today. And uh, that's been it. So it's been almost a decade since there's been any innovation in how people hire and find creatives. And we're stepping into that. And, you know, the term I use is subscription workforce. So it's basically you can subscribe to our workforce. You're able to scale it, automate it. We have Zapier, we have tech, we have APIs that our, our other platforms don't have. So the fact that so my mind is like, racing here right because i'm an automation expert and all we do all day is work on apis and look at stuff and so when i saw that you guys have a zapier integration i was like wait a minute like that i mean that's a whole new level right because that's essentially you you've taken like the upwork model but now you've got an api where you can interact with those people like that really gets interesting because uh, that's one of the things i hate about using upwork is all of my communication, everything is just stuck inside the platform. And the, you know, if I need them to do something, I got to go find them on Upwork and, and their chat platform and their pages are slow to load. And I mean, there's just some things that are really frustrating about that closed uh, nature of what's there. And Upwork's all about like keeping it closed. Like that, like they're, the, the, if anything, over the past five to 10 years, they've gotten harder to take work off of Upwork, not not easier, right? They've they've raised those barriers and they're actually going out after people who don't, well, right? So, and, it, and it makes sense with their business model. You know, their business model is let's take a percentage of the overall transaction value. So if if they have things leaving their ecosystem, then they're going to lose money. For us, we, we, we are incentivized by providing a really great experience. And if you have that great experience in your own Asana platform, like great, like we're, we don't care where you have that experience. We want, we want you to have the best experience possible. And sometimes that means not using our software. It means using your own software. Beautiful. I mean, I'm I'm excited to to understand a little more about where this is going. Uh, like I told you when when we bef just before we started, it, I think data automation may be a good candidate for this. We we have had fantastic designers who've since moved on, 
people. We've found, we've got a designer on Upwork right now who's working on stuff. I've got an old college friend who, you know, came in and they've done some stuff for us. I mean, it's been sparse and separated and I've got a backlog of like 15 different landing pages that I need created. So like, like there's, there is definitely a need out there for creating a stable source of design opportunities here so totally on the same page your, your situation i it's like so comically accurate like i got a freelance guy i got a family member i got a friend of a friend i got the like i hear that all the time and um yeah we we want to eliminate that i mean we have clients who si sign up and use us once a month twice a month but they know like tonight if they have a spark of inspiration they can submit that design in and, get, and it's done in about a business day so like they always have the availability you don't have to run into the risk of like emailing your college buddy's friend and he's like, oh, sorry, I'm in Cabo for the week. I can't help you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally heard there. Totally heard there. So tell uh, what what makes you different from your competitors in this space? I've actually seen a couple of design platforms pop up like this over the past you know, year or so as I've you know had my own design problem that I've been looking at. What, what's that look like for you? So I think there's the, there's the copycats and clones and it's really comical what they do because basically anything we do, they copy us a month or two later and uh, it's cute and, you know, good for them. And I, and I think what we do is not like, it's not like rocket science. You know, you're not going to, we're, we're not going to be under the impression someone can't find some creatives, create a system and process and optimize, you know, labor arbitrage and go for it. In fact, there's some, there's some companies that are doing pretty good at it where I think we come in to, to, to play in terms of differentiation with the copycats is truly our scalability of our service and our platform um, and the quality. Uh, we're, we're the highest quality service out there. Um, we're also the most legit service. Service. Like there's a couple, you know, platforms, I won't name them. They, they, for example, staff all, all with college interns. And so it's, they don't pay their labor. They don't pay their designers much, if at all. It's a rotating cast. You're never sure who you're going to work with. And so they, you really suffer. Like if you need one or two things done, that's great. But our clients are mature clients. They need consistency. They need quality. They need dependability. And if you want 50 accounts, we can give you 50 accounts. You know, if you want to scale huge with your creative production needs, we're there. Um, then the then there's the software and the platform, which we've already talked about. No one, no one offers, not even the publicly traded companies offers what we offer from that because they have a kind of a ragtag labor setup. And we actually have a, a managed service with it when it comes to our labor. So the Zapier, the API, we're building plugins. Like we're going to have a HubSpot plugin early next year where you can make and request and receive directly in HubSpot, WordPress plugins, all of that. We're going to be the only players on the market with that. Um, now, if you want to talk about who our real competitors are, it's going to be agencies and like W2 employees. Um, that's where, those are the dollars we're actually competing against. I'm not competing against Joe copycat, you know, like coconutcreative.com or whatever. And it's because our model, we, we really want you to feel like you're working with the team member. And that's, so when we, when we look at how do we, how do we position ourselves? It's, it's trying to be, when it's like, you're wanting to hire that agency or hire that next designer, we would rather you give us a go and see if not only can we exceed your expectations of content and creation, but save you quite a bit of cash. Yeah, no, that's powerful. All right. So, so let's dive into your personal origin story. How do you fit in the founding of this product? What, what was that like? Oh man. Well, I think it's the, 
it's not a it's not a uncommon one. It's like I had my own design pickle that I needed fixed, and uh, it was after I had a branding and creative agency that was pretty high end. You know, we were working with no more than five, ten clients at a time, doing two hundred, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollar logo branding platform rollout projects, and it was just a grind. And I closed it, went down the path of the unemployed entrepreneur, aka consultant. I was a consultant. And um, just found myself like really having a challenge, just like you described, like I, I, I was trying to find local help, but it was inconsistent or even just I was priced out of it because like some of my clients just couldn't afford hiring 50, 7, an hour designers. And then and then I needed I needed more help, especially help that that could be done kind of when I was working with one client, a client B could like get design stuff done. So. I sort of, you know, set up my own early design pickle with Zendesk, a ticketing system, a designer, and a project manager. And just so happens these two folks were from the Philippines. It wasn't because I was trying to hire from them. It was like the best interviewees that I found actually on Upwork is where I found them. And so what I discovered, though, was this overnight design system I had created. So my clients would request in for creativity. The Philippines team would come online late afternoon, early evening, get it done, and then it would be in the inbox in the morning. And so I was like, wow, this is kind of working nice because I can, you know, work and do stuff and design's happening at night and it's coming in. And then ultimately that just started to become the best part of my job and the easiest part. Like things were getting done. I didn't even know were getting done because clients would request it in. They would get delivered. I wasn't up early enough to even see the files. They would send them right to the client and the client would be like, awesome, this is great. So the wheels started to get spinning and I just said, what if I could package this up? What if I could sell this to anyone and really deliver design? design in this SaaS type model where I could figure out a healthy price. Obviously, we have people on the edges, you know, people who use it a lot, people who don't use it a lot, but try to figure out what's the average utilization and how could we price it appropriately to cover the cover most of our clients' costs. And so that's what we I worked on in December 2014. And in January 2015, we launched to the marketplace as Design Pickle. Beautiful. So so you went, I, I love what you said about the unemployed entrepreneur, aka consultant, because I think most of us who are entrepreneurs have taken that route before. It's a, it's a chapter in all of our lives. <laughs> I, I think I've been in that chapter a couple of times. <laughs> so I, I totally hear you from that standpoint and looking at, you know, where that went and I love how often it's kind of that accidental discovery, right? It's like, wait a minute. Like, so so I'm I'm working on this uh, alternate project right now, uh, besides data automation, where I'm I'm actually finding entrepreneurs apprentices to to create new businesses. I figured out the one thing I don't have is time, so I need to go find apprentices who can help me go start other businesses. And I was telling my buddy about it. He was like, dude, I'd pay you five hundred bucks if you could find me an apprentice. And I was like. I was finding apprentices for me. You mean, wait, wait. <laughs> so yeah, like, yeah. like, like that, that moment of like, there might be something else here. And you don't even realize that the process you use to solve your own problem 
might be a marketable something you could do for everybody else. So I love that. I love if there's one thing that I would say to the listeners is if you're thinking about starting something, you don't have an idea, think about the biggest problems you're facing in your life right now as a consultant, what you're looking at and and go look at it. See if there's an opportunity to do what Russ did. And I'd say too, like I... I've, I've not, I'm not an engineer. I have a lot of work for me. We've created a lot of software, but if, if you are, you know, if you have a buddy who's a CTO and you guys can go sit in a garage and crank out amazing software and change the world that way, go for it. You know, there's great money and capital and incubator programs and you can go that path. If you were like me and you don't know anyone like that, and you're just a business dude or just someone who's been in a more traditional career path. I think starting a service type business is the way to go because when we launched, I was self, it's been self-funded. I was profitable the first month and it was all just like a ragtag collection of off the shelf website and software things that I was able to put together without any technical knowledge. And to me, that was like, amazing like the bar to entry is so much smoother when you go after a new way of thinking about a service business than trying to create a software product which is the cool thing everyone wants to do our software didn't even come into play until almost 18 months later in fact if you knew the right email address to design pickle you could just send in requests and get designs done there was no <laughs> software at all like I need it. Like you could hack the system. <laughs> so uh, let me put it this way. It is all about the MVP. So, you know, totally a huge fan of hacking those things together using something like Zapier or connecting the different dots. Remember, I mean, especially with the no code revolution that we're sitting in the middle of, right? You know, you have all of these new tools that are coming out where you want to start a marketplace. <laughs> there's an entire piece of te like, like there's a template you can go buy for 200 bucks and you've got an eBay like like yeah. literally you can start eBay for 200 bucks today. So, so you know, you check out Bubble or or you know, the, the templates that zero codes created on top of bubble or many of these other platforms that are out there that are no code. There's a lot of opportunity that you don't really need to go start it from scratch and look at that. So, you know, super important point there. Let's, let's dive in here. How did you get the idea for calling it design pickle? I understand where you got the idea. Like you just said, you said, well, I had a design pickle. Like I, I, I was like, Oh, cute. Very, very good. Very cute play on white words. There is, I mean, is that what it was? What, did, what, what were the other names that were competing? So, so it's kind of embarrassing, but funny at the same time. When I had my previous agency, this agency, we worked, you know, that was a lot of the logos that we said in my bio, Harlem Globetrotters, Morgan Stanley, LG, like big world global brands. And we did cool stuff for them. I mean, brand activations, Ikea, like photo enablement, like all this cool stuff. So I knew branding. I worked for Apple for almost four years, both on the corporate side and in the retail side. Like I, I worked for Apple launching the iPod. Like that's old school, like the old iPod that had a wheel. And then I worked for them again on the retail side <laughs> when they launched the iPhone. So like... I got branding and here I was running this company and our name was the worst name ever from a brand perspective. It was NSB. And, and if you're, if you're watching this on video, you'll understand, but on audio, you might not, it's like Nancy, Sam, Bravo, NSB forward slash Keen, Kite, Edward, Alpha, Nancy, Edward, K-E-A-N-E. -E. And this is the mouthful if you're trying to talk or talk on the phone or do outbound sales. Hi, I'm Russ Perry. I'm with NSB Keen. 
how do what's the domain how do you set it and like and it was just years of misery having this company name and it was my partners like they had nsb my middle name is keen and we mashed it up thinking that we are sounding cool like some global company and so i was just when i got rid of that company i was just like i need the, the easiest name I don't care what it is. I'm just like, I just need something that's easy to understand. I'm never going to have to say it twice. I'm a personal fan of fermented foods, pickles being one of them. <laughs> and I love Reuben. I love sauerkraut. I love kimchi. But those were complicated names. So I went with Design Pickle and designpickle.com was available. This logo, which is on my hat, US registered trademark. Prior to Design Pickle, we would do three-month branding projects, research, concepts, all sorts of cool presentations. I sat down in my journal. I still have the sketches. I drew it twice. The first time I showed it to my daughter, she didn't get it. The second time I showed it, she said, it's a pickle. And that's how we built the brand. So it was like <laughs> done in like two hours. <laughs> so basically when you decided to name this thing, this is one of my favorite things. People get so flipping stuck on the name. They get so, I, I've seen founding teams fall apart over what they're going to call this thing. They get so attached to like, but it's my baby and it's going to be called X, Y, or Z. Data Automation had already made a bunch of money and had a bunch of clients before we bought the domain name. We were like, what are we going to call ourselves? And we went and found somebody who had the domain name. They wanted five grand for it. We talked them down to 2,500. We bought the domain name and and, and away we went. We, have, we now have our, our name, Data Automation. There you go. There you go. I mean, don't People, if you're listening to this, do not get stuck on the name. Go ask your two-year-old what her favorite food is and put what you do before it, and then you have your name, right? There like, you go. So, I'm so a like, huge fan website of cake, food branding. <laughs> website cake, uh, you know, man, I should, you know, automation muffins. Like, like, you really, really, you have to think about this. It's not about the name. It's about what the people do and how they experience where you're going. Now, the name, I, I 100% hear you in terms of, I, I can't even remember, NSB King? Keen? Keen, Keen, yeah, exactly. Keen, NSB Keen. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. Uh, that was a, a smart move to move away from something you can't spell, but Please, everyone listening, take take it away. Um, you know, remember what Russ did when he looked at this, and and you know, how much did you spend uh, trademarking the design that you showed to your daughter? It was probably a couple grand to to get yeah, that trademark, yeah, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah, the legal fees and all that, like to do it properly. <laughs> that is, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Huge, huge lesson there on on the naming. All right, so as we get in here, you'll remember from the social network, if you've had a chance to see that, the moment where Mark Zuckerberg's leaning back in his chair and his friend rubs up and says, hey, do you know if Susie has a boyfriend? And he just like stands up. He doesn't even answer the question. He runs back over to his computer and starts typing. And you realize this is the moment he realizes Facebook needs relationship status. And I've told that story on a couple of episodes, so I apologize if you listen to that again. But I wanted to spark in Russ. Did you have any moments where you sat there and went, oh, Design Pickle needs, you know, and got in there? What any Anything that comes to mind as you think about that? Well, I kind of already talked about the first thing that comes to mind, and that was we need our we need software to manage all of this because when I launched, it was a collection of of things, and there was no security, there was no process to manage our scale as we started to grow. 
So if we had 20 clients, which was about what we had when we launched, it was really easy to keep track of those 20 clients. And, and, but if we had 200 clients and someone got a hold of our like inbox email that we were using, they could literally just slip in a request and it would have been done. And we had like some, some issues there. So, so you, did you have somebody hack it? Somebody actually was sending in requests that we, we never had a random person hack it, but we had clients who would like cancel, but then that wasn't communicated to the creative team and they would still be able to get some work done. Nothing too nefarious. And even I think the clients that had done that, they weren't, you know, trying to like take advantage. I think it was just like, you know, they didn't understand when the cancellation period ended, but or started. But that was that was a huge thing. And on on one hand, you know, I don't feel like the software's ever been where I wanted it to have been because it's kind of been secondary to everything else. Like we we didn't start off as a SaaS company. We started off as a, a services company and selling it as a SaaS model. But on the other hand, we've been able to build our software very much in 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 alignment with what the needs are of our users in that moment. So we didn't have to spend a year building something, hoping it's it's going to be what people want, only to launch and discover they they want something else or they don't want what we've created at all. So that to me was a huge a huge thing. And then our product development overall, like we have two tiers of service. One's called Essentials, and that's like the next business day. That's what powers all of our automations and Zapier. It's like a, um, kind of more of a of, of cyclical. You you send it in, it gets done overnight, and then it comes back. And then and then we have a pro plan, which is the real time communication. That one is facilitated mainly in Slack and with our software. That pro plan was completely like a no duh moment for us. Like, wait, so we could have a design service where you actually talk to your designer? Wow, we should do that. <laughs> that sounds amazing. And you know, like it's about it's a little over two years old and it's more than half of our business now. So it just goes to show, like, you know, in two years we're 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 approaching our six year birthday in January. So in two years we we overtook, you know, almost three years of growth. But that that was like no duh moment mainly. Uh like, hey, you, this is probably something that we should create and build. So beautiful, beautiful. I, I actually, um, I, I messaged a friend of mine inside a, a group called 10X Factory, and, and it's kind of a mastermind. And I was like, hey, anybody using Design Pickle? I was curious to hear anybody there. And one of them actually asked, wait, do those guys limit the request to one at a time? Or, or do you allow multiple requests at a time? Or is that kind of your, your, you know, how the pricing goes across? So obviously we're shifting gears a little bit here, but I, I had that quick question that came up and I was like, oh, that's a good question. So we're not a, we're not a crowdsourced model. So when you sign up for Design Pickle, you get to work with a human being and one human being. So I guess theoretically, if that person was able to have two instances of Photoshop and somehow be designing two things at the same time or oh, Adobe Illustrator and Photoshop and they're like some wizard master that they can split their eyeballs and look at one thing and then design <laughs> something else with the other, you could do more than one thing at a time. I don't know anyone who can do that in my history of my career. So yeah, like you only can get one thing done at a time because that's all that people can work on at a time. Yeah, you get a, you get one person at a time. That's interesting. If you want to high, if you want to sign up for more subscriptions, you'll get more creatives to work on your thing. That's going to cost more. But you could queue up as much work as you want, and when the designer delivers, you know, their round to you, and they're waiting for you to review something, they'll get started on the next thing. And that's kind of what's nice about it is like as thing comes off the design 
you know, production line, they just get rolling on the next thing the next day. And, and it, it, they're not going to wait for you to like finish this project before the next thing starts. So what made you decide? So, so going back to the software or back to the service, what made you decide to dedicate an individual? I mean, I, I love that. And that's actually something of the other services that I've looked at. They ha- they don't have that. They don't have like a, a dedicated person. It goes to kind of like a team of people and they try to give you the same person, but it's not always the same person. What made you decide to do the same person route? It came down to just the quality of the experience, because if a creative can get to know you and your brand, then they're going to make less mistakes. They're going to know your your preferences. And that to me is the hardest part of our business. It's We have talented designers. We have a really great platform. Our platform's world-class. We have stock libraries integrated. We have AI and automation that helps out a ton. But like if the relationship and the communication isn't there, which is just like one-on-one stuff, then it's, you're going to have not, you're not going to have an ideal experience with Design Pickle. And so what we found is if we can get the same person on your account, we are able to have a better experience. And if you have a bad experience, we have at least some history of like, is this the first time this has happened? Or is this like, is this like a one-off bad experience? Or is this like a history of bad experiences? And that's super hard to track if, if you're getting a different person every time. Like it's, too many, too many variables. And that's, that's, we have to sometimes kind of like slap clients on the wrist a little bit, because they'll have like three months of incredible, incredible work. And they're like, boom, 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 boom. And then we'll get the seeding three out of 10 NPS review and like design pickle totally sucks. And we're like, whoa. And we look in and there's like three months of awesome, but there's one bad day that, you know, whoever's reason it happened. And we kind of got to be like, look, man, is this really that bad? And sometimes they'll be like, yeah, sorry, I was having a bad day. Or, uh, okay, they'll <laughs> resend it. <laughs> but, imagine <laughs> but imagine if for three months they had 40 different designers work on their work, it'd be really hard to go back and, and, and see where's the issue inside of that. So it, that's, that's interesting because that sounds like it's protecting you and protecting them. You're looking at that from both angles and you're protecting not only yourself, but but also protecting the client in their quality. Totally. And and at the end of the day, we are selling a service. So there's humanity involved. There's 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 emotions. Like our CS team, I kind of tell them they're like our therapists because our customer support team isn't. They sometimes reset passwords. They sometimes find bugs in the software. But more often than not, they're like emotionally coaching clients through whatever they're dealing with in their lives that just so happen to be involving with us. <laughs> Everyone that's listening to this needs to take like that takeaway right there. When you're hiring someone to be a customer service person, think what I want this person to be on the other end of the phone when I'm in a crisis. Like, like, <laughs> like, like if, if this person is, is not, Got, I mean, you got to think about it. That emotional intelligence has got to be high. Yep. Oh, that's huge. Yeah, you're definitely going to want to find somebody who is a therapist, really. Like, man, that's an interesting service right there. We should go, Russ, here's our next business idea. We're going to go round up a whole bunch of therapists, and we're going to do tier four support for every (laughs) agency in the world. And 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 they're gonna be like, uh, excuse me, I, I I need to escalate this. Like you're gonna call Dell 
and you've escalated. You've gone to the manager, you got, and you just got somebody who's on the other end of the phone screaming, and they're like, hold on while I escalate you to our tier four customer service. And they get on the phone, and it's like, hello, Dave. How are you feeling today? And it's like it's like a legitimate certified therapist who's going to talk them through their issue. <laughs> Love it. Love it. There's a new <laughs> business idea. There's a new business idea. So, all right, coming back to the founding story here, how did you keep you and your family alive when you were an unemployed entrepreneur? Well, it had it came down to really protecting and maintaining my business relationships from the very beginning. Uh, when I left my agency and I closed that, I really just reached out to my network and ended up getting some consulting gigs from past agency clients and some referrals from them too for other clients. So that was a lifesaver. I mean, I really was, you know, in a, in a, I wasn't like, you know, 23 and my thing failed and I'm living with like three roommates and can't pay. If I don't pay the rent, my half of the rents for the month, it's cool. It's like I was married. I had two kids. Like there was a lot at stake. We just moved into kind of a nicer part of Scottsdale, like higher cost. But the consulting kept me afloat and it was really truthfully lucrative. Like it, I was getting paid more and working less consulting than I was at the agency. So it was like this, like, wow, I really, I really was not in a good situation prior to this. Like, what, what was I beating my head against the wall for? And then I think emotionally how we kept everything afloat was I decided to really invest in personal development. I had never gone to seminars or events or, you know, I'd read a lot of like business personal development books around you know, planning or strategy but this was really focusing on you know me and my in, my internal belief systems and worldviews and so i hired a handful of coaches uh some for just a phone call or two others i like got you know weekly calls i went to events and i and i've continued that to this day through lots of different lots of different things i've always challenged myself but you know really in the early days i knew where i wanted to be and like my life and my my success I couldn't really, I wouldn't be able to get there with my, my operating system at the current operating system that I had. I had to like really go in and, and challenge myself. So I think that helped a lot. You know, it really helped with my connection with, with my wife. It helped with my, my ability to manage my time and not get burnt out and be there for the kids. And it's, and it's, and it's something that I'm, very proud of and I, I manage very well even to this day when we're like insanely more complicated and you know more busy than we've ever been before so you created a support network with people who knew how to do it better than yourself so that when you ran into those situations where you didn't know what to do you could reach out to those individuals and, and keep things rolling yeah so that came second the first was just being willing to be vulnerable enough with a, a random coach, like someone I didn't know who wasn't biased and, and I could process stuff without judgment, but authentically and without like hiding anything and allow them to give me some feedback and not get, de not get defensive about it. Like I had, you know, we all like, we all carry baggage from our youth and childhood and even the most rosy, you know, 
upbringings, you know, that if your if your upbringing is too perfect, that's a problem. Like you're 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 you know, there's 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 crap no matter what. Like from growing up, and I I didn't I didn't connect that. Hey, my personal awareness and growth is actually directly correlated to my business success. And so before I went back into the mastermind group where I could like get business help and talk about that, I just went right into like like emotional coaching and the difference between I think like personal coaching and, and, and counseling or therapy is counseling and therapy sort of focuses on the past and helps you process the past. Coaching, personal coaching is like based on what has happened in the past, what do we know now and how can we use that to our advantage moving forward? So it's like, it's, you know, it, you, it's like looking back versus looking forward. And I had done coach, I had done therapy and counseling in the past, but I didn't felt like I was, I was like, yeah, I felt better, but I wasn't like getting where I wanted to go. And that was like a huge shift um, for me, like was like, wow, coaching, personal coaching is we can talk about my relationships. We can talk about my kids. We can talk about my stresses. So what are we going to do today? And how does that, and like, where are we going to be tomorrow? I was like, I love this. This is awesome. And then the business was easy to just pepper in there as I grew and as I grew. Love it. And so you, would you say that's one of the main things you did to overcome challenges as the company, like in the initial days of the company, you, you used the, the coaching and, and some of these other pieces. And do you have any examples of big challenges that you think would be relevant to the listeners that, that you'd like to share, you know, how you, how you tackled that? Oh, dude, I've written a whole book about all of my mess ups. It's called The Sober Entrepreneur. You can learn about my alcoholism. You can learn about an affair I had with my wife. You can learn about my crappy upbringing. So it's on Amazon, five-star reviews. Check it out. I think, you know, we don't have enough time left in the episode to get into it, but I'll, I'll tell you what, like all of those challenges were challenges that I thought I could manage myself. I thought, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. I have success in involved, you know, to, to the outside. I was successful, but I realized I was totally isolated. And that's kind of one reason why I wrote this book uh, is I, I found that that my isolation was actually perpetuating these problems and these challenges. And so the vulnerability to just talk about challenges and talk about real things that to me, be, it, to this day, it's my superpower and I can talk and I can challenge people. Um, and that translates right into business success. Like I have no, I have no issue with conflict, no issue with hard situations because I've, I have done so much to be comfortable with those in my personal life that the professional stuff is like way easier, rel relatively speaking. So I think for anyone, you know, just kind of a general blanket statement is like just just be able to be able to be vulnerable enough to admit there are challenges and then talk about it, you know, like in an appropriate sense, you probably don't want to roll out like an affair you're having in your team leadership Monday stand up, like right out of the gates. But, you know, maybe there's some documentation or maybe if you're struggling with addiction, like I was for many years, there's tons of support systems out there, but whatever you're struggling with professionally, you don't have a professional problem. You have a personal challenge. And if you figure that out, then the professional stuff becomes really super easy. 100%. I think that the idea of vulnerability, and you've actually mentioned that a couple of times in the episode, it, vulnerability really is strength. A good personal friend of mine came to me one day and said, are you sure? Like asking for help? Like that just feels like the weakest thing. Like, like if I can't do it on my own, I'm not strong. And I said, the strongest, most powerful thing you can do in the world 
is recognize that you need help and ask for it. So huge, huge, huge nugget there for building a company is do not be afraid to run out there and find individuals who have done what you're doing and ask for help. Some of the greatest successes I've had in business have been recognizing that I'm not good enough to do this on my own and I need to ask for help. So I went and found, you know, a couple of years ago, I joined that that group that I told you about, 10X Factory, where it's a bunch of entrepreneurs and we get together once a week and they'll say that it's a mastermind. It's an emotional support group. Like we get in there and we complain about what's going on and everybody, you know, is looking at it and they're like, oh yeah, man, I totally get it. You know, and, and, and we call each other on our crap and it, it just creates a, a network of people that you can connect to and see where that's going. So huge, huge fan of vulnerability. So as we wrap this up, one last question for you, Russ. What advice, and you've given some amazing advice already, so you can just reference one of your other pieces of advice if you want to, but if, if there's a listener out there who's looking to get into business or, or get into starting a service-based business or a SaaS-based business or whatever, what's that one piece of advice that you leave for listeners when, when, you, when you get asked that question? You know, what, what would you leave behind? Yeah, you know, I could give some big spiritual, emotional Buddha Zen answer, but I'll just, I'll go the other route. I'll give just a practical one. Be be hyper niche and specific with whatever you choose. The markets are big enough. Like if you want to do like a concierge pet grooming service that only deals with pugs and it's like super high end and you only wash pugs and you have like the best method for all their fat wrinkles and washing them and that's your thing, like be as niche as niche as niche as niche as you can be because that's still a million dollar business. The the pet, the pug only pet washing service. Like it's like it it can be done. And most people when they're starting, they're so scared to go detailed because they think they're gonna they're gonna turn away business or they're not they 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 just want anything and any kind of business. And that's when people ask, what would you do differently with the design pickle? If I was to do it all over again, I would take that advice. I would do design pickle for say like plastic surgeons. And I would only do the services, I would only do the services for plastic surgeons. And and that we're like way beyond that now. And we can now do that later on and we're trying to get verticalized, but it's just just be comfortable going as niche as you can. It's going to be easier to market, easier to grow, easier to understand your target audiences. And if you at one point then want to go from pug dog washing to chihuahua dog washing, then you can, and you've sorted it out and you now can start going laterally in your market share. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So huge, huge piece of advice there. Remember what you're in the middle of and remember there's opportunities everywhere, you know, stick to to what's there. That honestly wraps the show today. Super appreciate everybody reaching out. If you've got any feedback on this episode or other episodes, feel free to hit us up at dataautomation.com or shoot me an email, william.christensen at dataautomation.com. I would love to hear from any of our listeners, other other uh, guests they'd like to hear from or, or, or elsewise. Russ, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks so much, Russ. One one last question. Where can people find you? I forgot to ask. Oh, yeah. So um, I think the best place to kind of get into plugged into my my world is just on my website, russperry.co. And then if you are uh, interested in everything that we're doing at Design Pickle, uh, you can go to designpickle.com. I answer my emails. So um, I'm not going to give it out. But if you fill out forms on either of those websites, it's easy to find my my contact information and get in touch. And I'll happily, if anyone has any questions or wants to talk about anything that we've talked about, I try to answer all my emails in due time. So I'd love to hear from your listeners. Cool. Awesome. Thanks for being on the show. Well, this is awesome, man. Really love talking about it. Good luck with everything. 
Yep, much appreciated. That's it for our episode today of Automate, Delegate, Eliminate. I'm your host, Will Christensen, and today we had Russ Perry from Design Pickle. You've been listening to Automate, Delegate, Eliminate, hosted by Will Christensen. <laughs>